team. And thank you all for setting your alarm on Daylight Savings Sunday, the, the hardest Sunday of the year. And of course, I'm probably not fooling anybody. I'm not going through puberty again. I did come down with something here. So I will respectfully uh, keep my distance, um, but I certainly uh, feel good enough to come and share a good word with everybody this morning. Uh, and it is a good word. We are in our third week of Lent, and we are about to hit one of, uh, I say this too much, but I don't think I'm being insincere. I love this story. I love the story of the woman at the well. On our journey through Lent, we started with Jesus's temptation in the desert his 40 days, and that launched us into our 40-day journey to Easter. And I pray you've been having a, um, a fruitful, a fasting, a wonderful experience of drawing closer uh, to Jesus. Maybe you've been engaging in some new spiritual disciplines. Maybe you have decided to take a fast. Maybe you're spending more time in prayer. Maybe you're using our images of Lent resource to reflect on some passages of Scripture and some words. Um, I do commend to you at any point, jump in. Jump into the Lenten season. Be intentional. Be focused. Journey to the cross so that the celebration of his resurrection is all the more wonderful. Amen, friends? Amen. Last week, we looked at a wonderful story, the story of Nicodemus, John chapter 3. And what I want to simply set up for you here is this powerful juxtaposition that John has created for us. Last week, it's the night, and a man with religious pedigree, with education, the guy who's kind of doing it right, kind of comes to Jesus with some questions. He seeks out Jesus, trying to find some, some key, some insight, some truth that might uh, open up kind of the kingdom of God to him. And Jesus, we know, tells him that he needs to be born again, that the spirit has to come into him and give him a spiritual rebirth. And then we, of course, landed on that wonderful uh, passage of scripture, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever might believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. That's a good word right there. Today, John very intentionally, I mean, by the power of the Spirit and by his own brilliance, we know that he had to just kind of set this up immediately on the heels of that so that he would kind of powerfully frame the broad mission and work of Jesus Christ for us. Because here we have a daytime visit and we're about to meet a woman and she's not gonna seek out Jesus. Jesus is gonna seek out her. And she comes from the wrong side of the tracks. She's from this place called Samaria. But she's not just on the wrong side of the tracks. She's like on the wrong side of the wrong side of the tracks. Because like even in Samaria, she's a person who instead of having this religious prestige and pedigree, she's even looked down upon by her own people. And here we're going to see Jesus loving, meeting, saving both. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Again, let me just read the first couple verses. I'm going to break that down for us, and then we're going to kind of end the sermon with the rest of the story. So we're going to read just a couple verses right here to get the party started. Now he had, that's Jesus, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. We're going to end right there. 
Who here wants a uh, history lesson on 8th century Mesopotamian Assyrian uh, history? Anybody? Anybody? Thank you. I'm so you. I love my people. I love my congregation. Um, I've told this story before, but it's worth telling again because it's so powerful and it puts in context so much of the ministry of Jesus Christ. You can read the story for yourself in 2 Kings chapter 17. It's actually 722 BC. And uh, King Shalmaneser of Assyria comes into the northern territories and raids them and overthrows them. Now here's what made them so susceptible to be overthrown by Assyria. During the course of God's redemptive work in his people, the people aren't always so excited to be redeemed. Or it seems they just at least kept falling into sin and straying from God's path for them. And the kingdom actually split. In the south, you have Judah, Israel. And they know where worship is gonna happen because they've got the city of Jerusalem. They've got the temple. It's like nailed down, like we got it going on. And they are actually protected from a lot of the other region because they are, of course, in the south. There are some natural uh, geological um, you know, kind of boundaries that gave them a, a, a protection, a better protection as a people. The north, they didn't have such a luxury. They were right on the edge of a bunch of foreign countries like Assyria. But not only that, the people there, they didn't quite know where to center their worship. They didn't know where to center their government. So over the course of time, they kind of bounced around. For a while, it was in this town called Shechem, and then it moved to this place called Tirzah, and then, bum, 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 they finally land in this place called Samaria. Well, because they didn't have the center of worship there and because they were straying from God, things went kind of from bad to worse. We know the story of the golden calf. Well, believe it or not, they made two golden calves in Samaria. Talk about not learning your lesson. And again, you can read all this in 2 Kings 17. They make two golden calves for worship. They start to erect these Asherah poles. They start to worship Baal and Molech. And God was very displeased. Well, Hosea from Israel, he got pretty offended at the uh, kind of the levy, the taxes, uh, the tribute that he was supposed to be paying Shalmaneser of Assyria. So he actually went around Judah, went around the south. He goes down into Egypt. He conscripts kind of this plan with King So, and he says, let's overthrow these stinking Assyrians, right? I mean, who doesn't? I mean, we all want to overthrow those stinking Assyrians. Nobody likes those guys. Well, this was warned against by several of the prophets of God. They basically said, you are actually being disciplined. Do not go from bad to worse and try to incite a war against your enemies. Well, Hosea didn't heed the word of the prophets. He went to war and Shalmaneser was not impressed. He came in, he swept down and he just devastated the land. He, he took people off into captivity into Assyria and then he actually started to bring other nations into to resettle the land people from babylon and other nations <clears throat> excuse me i am sorry now here's where it gets weird you ready for the weird part none of this was the weird part this is just like life and military and crazy things then it gets weird so the people have fallen into wayward practices of worship 
So God says, I'm going to send lions in the land to attack the people. Now, anybody who says they miss the good old days has never actually read your Bible because last week we read about the good old days whenever people strayed from God, God sent snakes, right? And the snakes were biting the people and then they had to look up at the bronze snake. Well, now God's sending lions into the land. So I don't know, I've never looked over my shoulder when I've you know, had a bad thought and thought a mountain lion's about to leap out and kill me. So the good old days weren't always so good. And the people like, God, what is going on here? And they ask for help from God. But it actually ends up being Shalmaneser who comes in to help them. And he says, well, things seem to be going better in the old days there. So why don't we take one of the priests and send them back to the land? So they take this priest. We never even get his name. He goes up to Samaria and he works to reestablish the worship of God. Now, fast forward seven centuries. The Assyrians fall to Babylon. Babylon falls to the Persians. The Persians just kind of get absorbed into the Roman Empire. And all this time, the people of Samaria just kind of stray further and further from the right worship of God. And so it comes to pass that the Jews hate the Samaritans and the Samaritans hate the Jews. <clears throat> The Jews think they're a bunch of literal half-breeds who polluted the worship of God and just literally don't know what they're doing. And the Samaritans on their part, they think that the Jewish nation is just a bunch of stuck-up uppity-ups who just think they have it all going on and they're way better than everybody else. And in their own ways, they're probably each touching upon some truths. But of course, it lands on the good old story of two groups of people blaming the others for everything that's wrong and they just hate each other. And that's why stories in the scripture like the Good Samaritan land with such power and such impact because it's confronting the people with their prejudices, which, with their biases, with their own hatred in their heart. I apologize for my voice. I know it might be a little d distracting. I feel fine, I'm just, I'm just congested. Well, into this context, Jesus had to go. Jesus had to go. It is as if in the plan, in the wisdom, in the mission of God, Jesus was saying, <clears throat> this has gone on long enough. This hatred, this bigotry, this prejudice, it has just gone on long enough. You are all to be my people. So he had to go. Now, the interesting thing about that is that well, the people, whenever they traveled simply from the south to the north, from Jerusalem to Galilee and where Jesus did so much of ministry. If you were to look on a map, you would see that a straight line would simply take you from Jerusalem to Galilee and you'd go right through Samaria. But of course, nobody went that way. They went up, they made a sharp right, they crossed the Jordan, they went further north, they went back around the lake and they finally got to Galilee. They literally would go as much as three days out of the way just so they wouldn't have to look at, deal with, talk with, interact with, be corrupted by those dirty Samaritans. And Jesus just says, enough. He had to go. He had to go. And I think it does fall on us for us to examine our lives and say, have we been going around some things <clears throat> in our life? Have we been going around some things? A lot of us do. If we take a step back from our lives, we might realize, you know what? There's been a problem facing my marriage, but I've been going around it. 
been afraid to face it and deal with it. Maybe you've had some strained relationships with your kids and you've been going around that relationship far too long, talking around the problems, ignoring them, pretending like they're not there. Maybe there's been some problems in your place of work. Maybe there's been some problems in your neighborhood. Maybe there's some problems. We have problems that we have a way of just going around for so long, we think it's normal to spend three days going around it instead of going through it. But what I love here is Jesus just had to go. He said, I'm not gonna take that well-worn path around the problem anymore. I'm gonna dive right into it. And that's exactly what he does. And that's what lands on so many of us. I think the Lenten season <clears throat> is that we just need clarity to know. We need clarity to know when our mission is calling us to stop going around the problems and to face them head on. Now, how do we do this? The way that we do this, and I say this often because it bears being said often, is we have to be nurturing our union with Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ knew through his relationship with the Father that it was time to confront the situation in Samaria, it falls on us to always be building into, thank you so much, Kellen, that was very kind of you. And I'm going to take a drink of that in one of these awkward, like while I drink and everybody. <laughs> Our union with Christ allows us to always have clarity in our mission. It is carving out time with Christ, time in prayer, time in the scriptures, time in meditation on the word of God, time inviting the Holy Spirit's rebirth to keep rebirthing mission in our lives. And that's how Jesus knows by his, by his abiding relationship with the Father that the time for him to go through Samaria had come. And that's how we know when God is calling us to confront those things that we've been avoiding in our lives. Now, here's the interesting thing about it. It doesn't end right there. He had to go through Samaria. He goes straight up there. And then what's the next thing that he does? Then he, he waits. You got it. Somebody's been reading the story or my notes. He gets to Samaria, he has this urgency to get there, and this is so beautiful, ponder this. Then he just sits down by a well, because that's what clarity on our mission frees us to do. Clarity on our mission allows us to know when we have to get up and go, and when we sit down and wait, and wait patiently for God to act. This kind of clarity allows us, in a sense, to, like, like and, and this is how I always think about it in, in, in my own life. I kind of want to wake up with urgency, but I want to kind of go to bed with peace. And I'm going to sound like a real pastor nerd. I want to wake up like an Arminian. I want to wake up with this urgency that it all, this is a theological thing. I'll talk to you about it later another time. With the urgency that it depends on me. I've got to get up. I've got to go. I have agency. I have efficacy. I am a part of God's will and God's plan, and it falls on me to get up and go to it and charge at it with urgency. But every night I go to bed resting in the sovereignty of God. God is in control. God can handle it. And if I messed up, it's okay, because God will cover a multitude of my sins and mistakes. But that's kind of the beautiful balance of the ministry of Jesus we see right here, that he knows when there's an urgency that calls him to get up and to go and to face the problem, but then he has the abiding presence of the Spirit in his life and a connection with the Father that he's like, I, you know, well, I'll, I'll do it because I'm going to take another drink here. Then he knows when it's time to just sit, just to sit and wait. 
Again, our union with Christ, our abiding with him, will give us that clarity to know when it's time to get up and go, when it's time to sit down in peace. Then the third thing, what he does here, he asks for help. He asks her before anything else for help. And this is a lesson that has taken me far too long and that I'm still learning in my own life and ministry. You see, as I like to remind you often, I'm a professional Christian. I actually was educated for this. I am paid to do this. I am the pro. And then far too often because I'm so, you know I'm being facetious, right? Because I'm the pro, but it gets into your head. It does, it, it, does. It, it does mess you up a little bit. It gets into your head and I'm like, oh, I, I'm, I'm the pastor of the church, so I should be the one always fetching the water. I should be all the one always saying the prayers. I should be the one always doing the work. I, I should be the one always fetching the water. That's what you expect me to do. That's what you want me to do as a pastor, right? It kind of gets into your head, but this challenge is that because Jesus very freely is able to just say, will you help me? And it's just taken me far too long, and again, I'm still learning this, that Kellen is way better at leading worship than, than me, so I probably shouldn't lead worship. And Vanny's an awesome prayer, so I should probably be asking her to pray for me. Uh, I, I mean, it, it, and I can just go around, I can literally could go around the room. Ruth is way better with kids, so I should probably just free her and support her to work with our families. And Kim is way better at administrating this whole thing, so I should probably just get out of her way. And Jane's way better at running the books than me, so I should probably just give my receipts to her and get on with my life. And Ed's way, you know, everybody here is better. I mean, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, I can preach and teach and I know how to ride a bike. And I can't really do many other things in my life, so I should probably just get out of the way of most everything else and ask for help. Because that's how the body of Christ comes together and gets some stuff done by recognizing what our gifting is and then just saying, can you help me? And so you just got to love that the Savior of the world, as this is going to land on, and this is unique in John's gospel that the people of Samaria will land on this. We now believe that he is the Savior of the world. But the Savior of the world in this situation just says, will you help me? Will you be the one to draw water for me? I have a physical thirst, and we're about to get into a spiritual lesson, but I have a for real physical thirst, and it would be great if you could help me. So know what it is you're good at. Know what you're called to. Know what you need to have urgency for. Have peace in that so you know when to sit and wait. And know when you just need to ask for help and let others who are better at it than you just run with it. There's something beautiful about that. Well, this is all set up for the conversation. And here's what we're going to do now. I wanted you to really want to hear the Word of God because I, I've done a whole weekend retreat on this story in ministry because this story teaches us about us receiving salvation and us taking the gift of salvation and carrying it to others. So you can do a whole, you know, retreat, a whole workshop, you know, sessions uh, on this. But you only came for a worship service, right? I don't have you for the whole day. So... We're going to read the rest of the story. And you're going to just, and again, I'm not going to even say much after I read the story. The story in many, many ways speaks for itself. I will have a few things to say, of course, afterwards. But now read, hear, I'm sorry, hear this 
interaction and, and read it on the screen. And now what Jesus does and what he set up, he had to go to Samaria. He sits patiently and waits for this divine appointment to happen. He introduces the relationship by first asking for and receiving help. And now he's going to push it to what only Jesus can do. So we're gonna read the rest of the story here now, but all the, all the technology is gonna work out. And it's gonna be a bit, it's gonna take like, like three to four minutes here. The Samaritan woman said to him, <clears throat> you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, <clears throat> give me this water so that I don't ha won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know <clears throat> that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Here's the one I really want you to land on a little bit right here. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way, made their way toward him. Let me skip past a couple verses so we don't get too bogged down and hit 39 here. Many of the Samaritans came from that town, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. This is the word of our Lord. Amen, amen. Life does have a way of leaving us thirsty. And certainly life has left this woman feeling thirsty. 
the brilliance, of course, and what the Spirit has inspired and what John has written for us is that this woman's story really becomes every man and every woman's story. Because here we find a woman who, during the course of that conversation, we realize she has some religious pedigree and knowledge of herself. She knows the lay of the land. She knows that she is not ignorant in any way. And yet her religious practice has still left her thirsty. We also see this woman who, it seems, has dipped her toes into the ways of the world. I think far too often we kind of put some blame on her. But if we take a step back from the situation, she was probably put in some <clears throat> extraordinarily difficult situations and choices in a time and a culture when a man could simply say, I divorce thee, I divorce thee, I divorce thee, and it was done. And she had no recourse. She's dipped into the well of religion and it's left her wanting. She's dipped into the wells of the world and they have also left her wanting and now estranged from the very community of which she was one time apart. And into her life comes now the spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. Now, again, this story has much to teach us and much to tell us. I love the part where Jesus says, the worshipers must <clears throat> worship, they're coming a time of spirit and truth. It would be another sermon, it would be another part of a weekend retreat when we could dive into this. But this is what helps us to stand against some things that we hear coming at us, uh, like Christian Zionism. And we need to, I'm, I'm all for and all about loving and serving and the gospel goes to the Jews, but Jesus is here saying, we do not have to be fixated on worship in Jerusalem anymore for true worship and true salvation to come. This helps us to eradicate any notions of a Christian nationalism. It says, oh no, you have to get to the right place. You have to get to the right mountain to experience the blessing of God in your life. No, 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 no. Those religious hangups are done and over now in the ministry of Jesus Christ and the gospel that goes out to all of the world and the spirit who comes and lands on young and old men and women, people from every tribe and nation and tongue. No, we are now free from being held to these old models of religious obligation. We are now free to come to the source, the source of living water, Jesus Christ, and the power of his Holy Spirit at work in each and every one of our lives. We have to love that first and foremost, the mission of Jesus brings him to this woman who was thirsty and he meets her deepest need and brings to her life and salvation. And that is the ministry and mission of Jesus and what only Jesus can do. And so first and foremost, I would urge each and every one of you, if you feel that you've been left thirsty by a religious practice that was just never quite good enough, you could never quite seem to say the right prayers, make the right offerings, serve enough, give enough, do enough, to ever have the peace and the security of life in Jesus Christ. Just go straight to him. Just go right to the source of the water. Drink deeply from what Christ offers. New life and resurrection life in and through him. Once you have received that gift, though, <clears throat> this is kind of a two-part sermon here in this case. Look at what this woman does. 
I love how she goes and she tells the people, come and see a man who told me everything I know. And of course, the people would be like, we all know everything you know. It's a small town. We get it. We, we all talk at the well. That's why you don't normally go to the well. We all know. She says, no, 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 no. And she asks, this is a genuine question. Could this be the Messiah? She simply invites them to meet the man who changed her life. And then we know where this lands at the end. They come to the place where they are willing and able, and they do see Christ as the savior of the world himself. I'm sorry, let me take <clears throat> one more drink here. Let me invite Kellen and the band actually get ready to lead us in some worship while I finish the story. But in the example that we see of this woman is a beautiful testimony. It's a testimony. It's a beautiful testimony to how God can and does use our story. This woman made quite a mess of her life. That we can all agree. And yet God, Jesus, is able to take that mess of her life and use it as a powerful testimony to toward, point towards the truth of he being the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one. And that is exactly how God so often uses our lives. He will take these messes of our lives and can he use them to become a powerful testimony that points people to the glory of the Messiah. Now don't mishear me or don't misunderstand me. Don't invite mess into your life. <laughs> And if you're like me, you don't need any help inviting mess into your life. Don't, don't seek a dramatic testimony of making a mess of your life. Oh my goodness, please try and save yourself the pain and the trouble. But when the pain and the trouble does come, when the difficulties do land on you, when the hardships fall on you, when you just have to step back and recognize there's some messes in my life. Those are so often the source, the very testimony, the very things that we can use to point people to the healing that they can find in Jesus Christ. And so this woman with just this kind of new bravery, this new boldness, this new courage that's come from the healing in her life, she's able to just say, come and see, come and meet, come and experience what I've experienced by this man who, who just saw right through me, but offered me what I was always longing for, always looking for, that spring of living water. So I'm going to stop talking because my voice is wearing out and I'm going to pray. And it's a simple prayer, but I mean, maybe there's no, there could be no two better prayers. It's going to be a prayer that if you're thirsty this morning, you're going to experience living water. In a little bit of time of worship that we have left here, maybe we just sense a welling up of eternal life, a welling up of understanding, of embracing, of experiencing this gift of salvation that we have in Jesus Christ because I want that for everyone. Maybe if you've already experienced that, maybe the time is on you to experience the welling up of the mission that God might be calling you, moving you towards, that you would sense urgency and yet patience, that you would sense, I have to go and do something. But you also then have the presence and peace of mind to sit peacefully and calmly where Christ is calling you. And maybe it's going to look as simple as going and asking for help from people in your life. Let me say a prayer. We're going to worship a little bit more. Heavenly Father, I pray that every one of us would drink deeply from the well of life which you offer. That is the well of your very self. Lord Jesus, we give our lives to you so that we might have life in you now.
for those of us who know you and love you and call you Savior and call you Lord, I pray that you might use maybe even the messes of our lives to point toward the glory of you, our Messiah, our Christ, our Savior. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's worship you.